Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to the Progressive Britain podcast. This is a podcast with the opinion that progressive politics can change the world. I'm Hannah and I'm here to take you through the good, the bad and the ugly of the past week in politics. Later on, I'll also be joined by David Lawrence from the trade justice movement, who's given me the lowdown on what trade arrangements post-Brexit can actually look like and what effects they could actually have. So stay tuned. But first, for the good, Wednesday was a dramatic and pretty weird day in the Commons as Labour MP Yvette Cooper put through her bill to prevent a no-deal Brexit in a day. Just to highlight how unusual this is, bills normally take weeks or even months to get through the Commons with three readings and a stage in committee. This bill, although imperfect, completed all stages of the Commons legislative process in a single day eventually culminating in a dramatic photo finish, passing by just one vote. If it passes the Lords and receives royal assent, Cooper's bill will mean that the Prime Minister has to bring back any extension to the Commons for ratification. So this puts more powers into the hands of MPs, but it doesn't necessarily mean that no deal will be averted. The U27 will have to agree to any extension, and Macron is not feeling particularly generous. And remember, the default option, if no agreement is reached by the Article 50 end date, is still no deal, not a revocation. So one small step forward for us there. But now, for the bad. Despite the heroic efforts of MPs, it looks like Cooper's bill may suffer some opposition in the Lords from a hardcore group of Brexiteers who are determined to talk it out. I think it was seven procedural motions that were put before the House on the bill before it even began. And it looks unlikely that even if the Lords are willing to sit through the night, that the bill could pass before Monday. Tensions are running high with peers such as former Chancellor and fantastic Brexiteer who happens to be moving to France because Brexit is such a good thing, Nigel Lawson, saying things like Cooper's bill is constitutional vandalism. Well, speaking of constitutional vandalism, we finally come to the ugly. Today, it's Thursday when we record... The Commons has actually suspended sitting early as torrents of water have begun to pour out of the chamber roof and into the press gallery seating below. So is this apocalyptic pathetic fallacy or nature's way of giving our exhausted MPs a break? I'll leave that to you to decide. Now before we move on to my chat with David from Trade Justice, please press pause on this podcast. If you like listening and haven't already, please recommend us to a friend. And if you've already told all your friends, I'm sure you have, then please subscribe, rate and review. It's always much appreciated. Today I'm interviewing David Lawrence from the Trade Justice Movement. 
He's here to tell us more about trade policy and trade justice and demystify some of the jargon around some of the most important things in our economy. Lovely to have you, David. Thanks for having me. So I don't think we can ignore the elephant in the room. Yep, as per usual, it's Brexit. Now, we hear a lot from the Brexiteers about global Britain and how we're going to go out into the world and make all these fabulous trade deals and leave sort of, you know, more glittery and more powerful than we've ever been. Um, How much truth is there in that from your perspective at the moment? More glittery than we've ever been. quite like that as an image. I don't think Liam Fox has actually used that. I'm sure like Boris Johnson has at some point there. Probably. I think it's certainly what Liam Fox wants, uh, as with lots of things around Brexit. Um, It doesn't mean it's what he's going to get. Uh, I think it's important to remember that an independent trade policy is really at the core of what the government wants for Brexit. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's a reason we're not staying in a customs union with Mm -hmm. the EU. And that is more or less the reason why the backstop's an issue. So actually, all of the delays to Brexit over the last few months kind of come down to this desire for an independent trade policy. And I think one of the reasons for that is because it's one of the government's main ways of countering the argument that leaving the EU is going to be disastrous for the economy. Uh, So the thing that they can point to is these new trade deals, such as uh, the sort of the the, the one they want most is one with the United States. Um, I think there's two things worth separating out. Firstly, whether the kind of deals that Liam Fox wants are achievable. Mm-hmm. Um, and secondly, whether they are even desirable, whether okay. in fact they're what the country wants. Can I take you back for a second? Can we just clarify what the difference is when, say, Liam Fox talks about an independent trade deal? What's the difference between us having an independent trade deal and us not having an independent trade deal? Is this us being like the plucky underdog? What is it? Uh, so as EU members, we we don't have our own free trade agreements mm-hmm. with other countries. They're all negotiated through the European Union and they're all with the European Union mm-hmm. on the EU's terms. So that means you're balancing the interests of all the member states when you're entering a trade negotiation. It also means you have a lot more clout because you have the combined strength of 28 countries mm-hmm. behind you. Liam Fox's plan is that the UK will be able to enter its own trade agreements and Uh, The idea is that this will make up for some of the trade that's lost from Brexit with Europe. So we'll be looking for new trading partners around the world. Okay, fantastic. Um, And you mentioned just to sort of future proof this, you did mention the point about the customs union. Um, But obviously on the day of recording, it may be uh, that Jeremy Corbyn has been in talks with Oliver Letwin, I believe, to see whether the government would be happy to adopt an EEA or customs union, Norway plus, Norway plus minus, Norway hash, whatever deal. Um, So if that happens, obviously discount that bit. Um, But let's talk a little bit more about uh, the two bits that you were discussing earlier. So you said that we have to separate the process of the trade deal from something else. What was that? Yeah, well, I think there's there's question marks over whether these deals are achievable. And I think mm-hmm. so far, the government doesn't have a great record. So one of the main things Liam Fox has been trying to do over the past couple of years is roll over about 40 trade deals with about 70 countries that we have through EU membership. And I think about six or seven of those are on track. And the rest still technically need to be done before the end of March. And there was a leak um, to the Sun newspaper a few weeks ago, which showed that some of these are wildly off track and they aren't going to make their deadline. It's not a great start for Global Britain if your uh, sort of entire Mm. point is that the UK will be this buccaneering trading nation after Brexit. So can you give me some examples of countries that we've already done trade deals with and some countries that we're still trying to do trade deals with? Is it that sort of, you know... 
we've sorted out the most complex ones and we've got one with Japan and we've got one with Germany, but we're waiting on like New New Zealand, which is the easy bit for the end. Uh, no, the ones that we have are the least complex ones. So okay. they're ones that we already have through the EU, which we've tried to roll over on the same terms. And I think we've got six or seven of those, uh, the main ones, Switzerland, um, but we're still lacking some pretty key ones like Canada and Japan, which are both big economies and those haven't been rolled over yet. So that, so that's not a great start, mm-hmm. I think. Um, also, just recently, the US set out its position for what they would want in a trade deal with the UK. And they uh, they have a really tough line in terms of yeah. what the, the, the kind of things the UK would have to meet. So they really want the UK to reduce its agricultural and health standards around food. That's a really key thing for US mm. farmers. They'd want them to reduce tariffs in those areas as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's also likely that a US deal would include investor state dispute settlement, mm-hmm. uh, which essentially allows investors to sue the UK for any measures that harm their profits, which okay. is really controversial in the UK. So that's interesting. So take it back. When you talk about sort of standards, are you talking about the sort of headlines we see about high fructose corn syrup and chlorinated chicken, that sort of thing? It's things like that, yeah. It's essentially wherever the US has different regulations around food to what we currently have through EU membership. Um, So you've probably heard a lot about Mm -hmm. chlorinated chicken Mm -hmm. and GM crops and hormone-impregnated beef. Um, Yeah, those are the kind of things that US farmers really want to see the UK change its policy Mm -hmm. on as a prerequisite to any kind of trade deal. Okay, fantastic. Uh, I mean, not fantastic in terms of, you know, I don't really want chlorinated chicken, but fantastic that you cleared it up. And it's interesting that you just mentioned about tariffs. Is that because we currently have higher tariffs on the US than we have on other countries? Is that the case? So there are EU tariffs on US agricultural goods, but Mm -hmm. I think the the big worry really is is standards because the UK has comparatively high standards. Mm-hmm. Um, UK farmers pride themselves in their high standards. It's uh, the reason why British food sells over the world. It's because it's produced to a high quality. That could all be undercut. And so you could get US products on British supermarket shelves, which don't meet the standards that we currently mm-hmm. enjoy. And so from what you said about this investor state dispute thing, so if I give you an example, does it mean that, say, an American company could sue our government over standards. If we said, oh, you can't use high fructose corn syrup in your drink because we don't want it anymore, then say Coca-Cola could sue us as a state. Yeah, so, uh, well, so ISDS, it it can be used against any change in government policy. So if a US firm made an investment on the basis of Mm -hmm. us having a certain policy, uh, it could be an environmental regulation, and then that changes. So let's say Labour gets into government and they want to introduce, I don't know, a tax on diesel cars or something. That's the kind of thing that could be challenged if a company can prove that it affected their profits. They don't necessarily win the legal case yeah even if they don't win it can cost the government a lot in legal fees and the process is highly secretive so we don't really know how courts come to their decisions um they're completely independent of the domestic legal system so one of the main campaigns we're working on Mm -hmm. uh, at the moment is to remove investor state dispute settlement isds from uk trade policy because we think it's it's really dangerous for any uh progressive government that wants to bring in new legislations it makes it a lot harder to do that yeah it does sound really dangerous actually and I wish I could sort of get that for my student loan now as well. Yeah. <laughs> It'd be great if I could sue the government and say, you changed the terms of my loan. But well, that's, that's the other thing about ICS is it's not something that's open to ordinary citizens. So I can't take the government or a business to court for 
you know, affecting my life, um, but businesses have this access to this parallel legal system. So we think that's really dangerous. Labour has a policy against it. We think there's probably even a majority in Parliament against it. But as things stand, they could go into these post-Brexit trade agreements. Okay, brilliant. So you're campaigning on these issues as an organisation then. What are you hoping to achieve? Is it mainly the removal of this investor state dispute resolution policy? Yeah, so ISDS is a, a big campaign at the moment. It feels like there's uh, a unique opportunity as the UK is thinking about post-Brexit trade and as, as we're developing our independent trade policy, it feels like the time is ripe to campaign against this. Another big campaign is around trade democracy. So I think lots of people don't realise that the way that trade deals are currently agreed doesn't involve a vote for MPs by guarantee. So MPs won't necessarily get a vote on a trade deal with the US. They haven't got votes on the rollover deals, which I mentioned earlier. There's actually no formal way for Parliament to stop these agreements. Uh, The process that we have for Parliament ratifying trade agreements essentially dates back to a World War I convention, which was designed for secretive international defense treaties. And that's the process that we will return to after Brexit for negotiating and agreeing our own trade agreements. So one of our main campaigns is to say, much like uh, around Brexit, lots of people said that MPs should have the final say, MPs should have a meaningful vote. That's the kind of thing we're calling for, for these big trade deals like one with the US. Okay, I see. So when you say that there was or there will be a return to this secretive process, does that mean the executive, so in this case, Theresa May and the DUP would essentially get total control over what was in a trade deal? That's right, yeah. So negotiations are done completely by the executive. They don't need to seek a mandate from Parliament before beginning negotiations. Uh, I mean, they could begin it without announcing it, Um All they need to do is, once they've agreed the deal, uh, lay the text before Parliament. But even then, there's no guarantee that it gets voted on. They don't have to give government time to it. The opposition could use their time to secure a debate, but that's difficult because the opposition doesn't get that many days of debate. So it's actually quite easy for the government to negotiate, agree a trade agreement that's highly controversial, might not even have a majority in Parliament, but it could be ratified. And lots of people don't realise that. I think lots of MPs until recently haven't realised that. And as we've seen with a lot of the annoyance around Brexit, obviously Mm. people have their own reasons for being annoyed. But even just in terms of the process, Mm. people aren't happy that MPs don't get a say. I think that's quite interesting. Um, Obviously, you, as part of the trade justice movement, don't have a position on this. But it makes me think of when we're thinking about the narratives about Brexit and the sort of taking back control. I think in everyone's minds, it was a sort of taking back control from the EU to the people. Mm. As, whereas what you describe, it seems that we're, we would be moving on under this current system from the EU deciding our trade policy, essentially, to the executive deciding our trade policy and continuing to have a lack of oversight from really anyone. I think that's right. And I think also the... Um, the EU processes aren't perfect, but MEPs get more of a say over trade agreements than MPs will. So within the EU framework, there was more democratic accountability. The other thing is that the EU does have higher standards around food and the environment, and it carries more weight when it's negotiating that the EU experienced negotiators, they've been doing it for 40 years. And I think in that sense, also, there's a worry that 
Brexit will lead to a loss of control for mm. ordinary people because these standards uh, that keep us safe, that keep us healthy, that look after environment, those are all going to be at risk from these post-Brexit deals more so than they would be, I think, through EU membership. Okay, interesting. So, of course, trade justice is a really important issue. We see lots of things around tr- fair trade. And obviously, there was lots of campaigning of things like TTIP historically. But it seems to me, being in a progressive labor space, that this is an issue that we haven't been doing as a group or as an ideology uh, really too much work on recently. Uh, Do you think that Brexit presents us with an opportunity to agitate more on trade issues and to really push for trade justice? Yeah, I think Brexit, yeah, Brexit's definitely an opportunity for that. Uh, I'd love to see more progressive voices involved. I think it's a a funny time in trade because uh, I suppose the rights, which, you you know, is traditionally very much pro-trade, bringing down barriers, that sort of neoliberal strand, in places it feels like that's being replaced by a sort of Trumpian right, which is still... Mm in some places pro-trade because it's about America's interests first, but also Trump has some policies which are clearly protectionist. And there's a temptation for the left in reaction against Trump to want to, you know, make the case for free markets and openness. I think that at the trade justice movement, we need to be clear that trade in itself isn't a bad thing, that it's a good thing. But the way that trade deals are currently done does take power away from governments. It can make it harder for them to regulate in the public interest. Um, and I think there's a distinction between having free and open societies and having uncontrolled free trade agreements. Um, so yeah, I'd love to see progressives campaigning more on trade justice issues. Okay. And if we have keen listeners who care a lot about trade issues and want to get involved, how can they do that? Uh, Well, so I think a priority at the moment is the Stop ISDS campaign. So we have launched a petition. I think we're aiming for 100,000 signatures by the summer. So there's a website, which is stopisds.org.uk. Visit it, sign it. (laughs) And um, we are hoping to use that to generate some kind of parliamentary change on ISDS because we think now is the opportunity for that. So that's the number one priority. Um, Otherwise, we've got other campaigns going on uh, to have a look at our website, which is tjm.org.uk. Excellent plug. (laughs) We're also on Twitter. (laughs) You at? I'm at DC Lawrence. Okay. Follow him. Brilliant. Thanks a lot, David. Any last words? Any few looking into your crystal ball, could you tell us what you think (laughs) might happen with trade? I think I just reiterate that regardless of what happens with Brexit, now's a really exciting time where I think we're rethinking on the left what we want trade to look like. As I say, we don't want to be, we don't want to necessarily fall into a protectionist trap or a sort of trap of just affirming anything that sounds like free trade. And I think now's the opportunity for creative thinking uh, about what trade should look like in the 21st century. And uh, yeah, it'd be really good to have more progressives involved with that discussion. Fantastic. Well, we love a bit of creativity here at the Progressive Britain podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today, David. Thank you. Lovely having you. Bye-bye. That's all from us for this week. Have a lovely weekend and see you on Tuesday. You've been listening to the Progressive Britain podcast. The music was One in the West by Blue Dot Sessions, licensed under Creative Commons, And many thanks for our fantastic and long-suffering producer, Caroline Crampton. (music) 